You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. So this morning, as we've talked about already, we are talking about Jesus Christ, our hope. And as we do this, today is going to be a little different, even from last week, is because we're breaking up this message in just three short segments that I'm going to be sharing with Pastor Chris in the middle Um, And we're going to be talking about different aspects of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so I'm really excited about this. I hope that this, we really feel the truth of Jesus, our hope. Before we do that, I want to remind you of why we light the candles. Um, And as we do this, again, this is, uh, seems a little traditional maybe for us, but it's significant in the sense that these candles in very, in a very real way represent the light of Jesus Christ. And as our, we were in our worship time and the lights are dimmed and we light those candles for the first time, I want you to think as we light these candles each week that this is the way the world was when Jesus came into it. That the world was dark. That the world was in many ways without peace, without hope, without joy, without love. They didn't understand fully what these things were. And when Jesus came in, what he declared of himself that I am the light of the world is the truth. But the amazing thing that we see and what we're supposed to take in from this is this truth is just as Jesus came into a dark world and he became a, 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 a single light, that as we receive this truth, that we too carry that light. And even as Jesus said, I am the light of the world, then we too become the light of the world. And the goal of the Advent season is to remind us of the coming of Christ world but also we carry that light and that he will one day come again and we have this so the meaning is this that as we learn of the truths of Jesus that we too become carriers of these things into a dark world and by doing so we spread the light of Jesus Christ so as we talk about Jesus our hope I want to remind you that when Jesus came In many ways, just like I said, he redefined these truths. He redefined the truth of peace. He redefined the truth of hope and of joy and of love. He redefined these. What do I mean? That Jesus took and and, and brought them to the highest truth. It wasn't that these things did not exist before, but they were filtered in many ways the same way that we still filter these truths through our experiences, through our ups and downs, through the trials of our life. But when Jesus came, he he brought out the highest truth of these things that no longer is our peace or our hope or our joy or our love subject to the ups and downs of our life. It's rooted in something that is more steadfast. It is rooted in the author of these things, Jesus Christ himself. And it becomes an inward truth for us that we carry no matter what our life looks like. And it makes us steadfast. It makes us stable. It causes us to truly embrace these things. And today, as we talk about peace, I want to bring our attention to this aspect of peace. And this is something that, as a team, we sat down this week, and I expressed with some vulnerability, as I will with you today, that out of these four things, out of peace, out of hope, out of joy, and out of love, the one that I probably struggled with the most was hope. And I want to offer you today that it's entirely possible to understand the peace of Jesus and to know the joy even of Jesus, to know his grace and his love, but to maybe miss out in a place of hope. And so I want to start today's little segment by saying, hey, what what happens when our hope is lost? How do we regain hope 
when we feel like we've lost hope. Because even though we might know the truth, we might not know the truth. You know, there's a difference, right? That we might understand these things. We might sing about them. And we might, in our minds, know that, yes, Jesus is our hope. But we're not living in that hope. It hasn't transformed us. It hasn't become revelation and truth to us. It hasn't changed our life. And we might struggle in that place of hope. And so the first thing that I want you to know is that if that's you, you're not alone. You're not alone. I want to actually direct your, 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 your attention to a, a passage in Matthew 11. I talked about this a few months ago, but this story is so dear to me. It's so real, and I love it. When we, we break it down and we really look at it, we see a position of hopelessness and what Jesus and how Jesus responds to it. And this is the story of John the Baptist's disciples going to Jesus while, while John was in prison. And if you don't know this story, what has happened is that John confronted a, a King Herod, a leader in, in the land at the time, and confronted him with some sin that, that obviously God was speaking to him to speak to him, to speak to the king. And as a result, he found himself imprisoned. And what history tells us is this, is that John never got out of prison. As a matter of fact, John lost his life. He lost his head in that encounter. And so what we see and where we pick up in Matthew 11, and we're starting verse 2 and 3, is a moment of what I believe is hopelessness in John's life. It says this, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one to come, or should we expect someone else? Oh, man. Now, I just really enjoy parking the bus at this moment to really get the full grasp of what John's disciples are asking Jesus and, and, and by default what John asked his disciples to ask Jesus. Because when we read the narrative of the birth of Christ, it is impossible to miss out on the union and, and the connection between John and Jesus in the story of the coming of the Messiah. Not only was it John's mission and his job and what the Holy Spirit called him to do to, to declare the Messiah, to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, but even before that, with Mary and Elizabeth, their moms, that the scripture tells us that when they got together while they were both pregnant, that Elizabeth's womb leapt with joy, that John and Elizabeth's womb leapt with joy, that there was a connection, that this wasn't just a mere association, but this was something that was much deeper. But we find John in this moment, in a moment of hopelessness. And maybe you felt like John. I know that I have. Maybe you felt like what was supposed to happen did not happen. That your expectations were let down. Maybe you've thought in your heart that what's happening in your life right now isn't fair. Maybe you look at some circumstances in your life and you don't see a way out. And it's caused you to be hopeless. Maybe even if you're honest... You feel like God doesn't even see you anymore. And all these things can cause us to lose hope. I know in, in, in just in a moment of vulnerability, I know uh, that I have. I've experienced this. I've experienced this in the last two years, as I know many of you have, as I've heard your stories, and even longer. 
This is one of the most difficult things that I've had to walk through is the feeling and, and the feeling of hopelessness. And I know that in those times, it wasn't that I was absent of peace, that peace, maybe I struggled with it, but I regained peace. And it wasn't that I lost the love of Christ or even the joy of being somebody who follows Christ, but the sense of hopelessness kind of sneaks up on us. And hopelessness happens when we don't understand the care of God and we can't see a future that He has for us. And here's why we can understand again, and I'm not trying to be too heavy because I'm going to turn this around in just a minute, but this is how we can sometimes live in the love of God and we can know the peace of God and we can even experience the joy of God, but if we don't see the future that God has for us, then we can begin to slip into hopelessness. And I believe with all of my heart, this is what John was walking through when he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the one or should we expect another? Silly John, you know the answer to that question, but you're responding out of a place of the fear of the care of God for your future. But we've all been there. This happens in several ways. It can happen when we get a health scare. It can happen when relationships are suddenly broken or destroyed. This can happen with the loss of a person or a job. It's the enemy's attempt to sneak up and to, to bring hopelessness in us. But the ultimate goal of the enemy when hopelessness comes is this, is to get us to disconnect from the revelation of the care in the future of God. But I want to speak to you for just a second and tell you something significant that Jesus said in this dialogue. In Matthew eleven six. he says this, and this, this stings and it's truth and it's healing and it pierces to our soul, and it gets right to the cause so the Holy Spirit can come and begin to restore us. In Matthew eleven six, 6, Jesus says this, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Some of your translations say, Blessed are those who are not offended because of me. And this word is a very powerful word. It means to disapprove of. And the things that hinder me from acknowledging the authority, specifically in this context of God. This word offense, this word stumbling means this. To see in another what I disapprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging His authority. And when we see God in this position, what happens is this. Is that sometimes we can begin to lose hope. But here's what I want you to understand, and I want you to see what Jesus did and how he restored what I believe was hope to John, and how he restores hope to us when we feel hopeless. It's first important to acknowledge this because there's something that needs to happen, that God has to get to the root of it, that he wants to deal with the nature of the offense. And the way that he comes in, in this, is through his care and his compassion, and we see this with uh, Jesus' dialogue with John's disciples. So this is what I want you to understand if you feel like you're in a place of hopelessness and hope needs to be restored. First, is that Jesus understands the highs and the lows of your life. He's not expecting you to be perfect. He's not looking at you to be bulletproof. But He always wants to be your source. 
He always wants to be the one that you invite in to remedy, to fix, to bring the revelation, to bring the truth, to bring hope, to bring future back to you. He understands, but he wants to come in. This is the very thing that we have said over and over again, that he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He understands you. This is what's so interesting to me in this passage, is that Jesus did not rebuke John. And by the way, they were cousins. Hmm. Anybody got a family member? Just want to be like, what? You know better than talk to me that way. Jesus didn't pull John's disciples to the side and said, don't you ever come up when I'm talking to folks and ask me that kind of dumb question again. I will, I will, man, you, you watch me. I'll raise dead. I'll put them back down. He didn't do that. Here's what Jesus did instead is that Jesus... In Matthew 11, 11 says this, Truly I tell you, among these born of women, there has not, not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What did Jesus do? Jesus didn't rebuke John. Instead, he exalted him. Why? Because he understood. He is compassionate. He cares. You serve a God who longs and loves to restore hope to you if you open your heart to do that. Because he understands you. He's close to you. He loves you. He doesn't want to beat you down. He doesn't want to persecute you for your weakness. Instead, he wants to strengthen you. He wants to love you. He wants to make you secure. He wants to give you his future. He wants you to know his care. The second thing is this. In order to regain hope, we have to take our eyes off the natural. If you're going to regain hope, the things that you see is limiting your hope that are causing you to be hopeless, you're viewing those through the eyes of your natural eyes. You have to begin to look through the eyes of the Spirit. In Matthew 11, 4 and 5, this is how Jesus responded after his, John's disciples said, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. What did Jesus do here? I believe that he reconnected John to the higher truth. He reconnected John to the truth of what John himself had prophesied, what the Holy Spirit put inside of him. He invited John to take his eyes off of the prison cell that he was in, to understand the one that John himself had said, is the Messiah, is the Son of God, is the hope of Israel, is the hope of the world, is the resurrection in the life, the one who has been prophesied has come, is here. And if you would choose to, John, if you would see, as I've shown your disciples, that I'm doing exactly what God spoke to you to prophesy. If you would take your eyes off of what you see around you and put your eyes back onto the truth of what hope is through your spirit you're going to see hope come back to you and what we have to do is we have to take our eyes off of the things that we see in the simply in the natural realm and yes there, there, there's problems and there's real things that you might be facing that you know but I want to tell you that the one who knows you Jesus Christ the one who gives you future the one who cares for you knows something more he sees past the problems of your life. He knows 
He's provided for you. He's protected you. But the only way you're able to see that is not through the eyes of your natural eyes, but through the eyes of your spirit. And so that means this. And finally, in order for this to happen, we have to invite the Holy Spirit to show us what God is doing in order for us to regain hope. The invitation, I'm sure, was sent back through John's disciples to John to say, look, See through the eyes of your spirit, but John had to say, Holy Spirit, help me to see again. And I believe, listen, just like that, we too have to do that. If hope is lost, in order for hope to be restored, not only do we have to know he is the one who cares and the one who is able to to give us a future and a hope if we choose to look through the eyes of our spirit, but we have to invite the Holy Spirit to show us. I promise you that no matter what you might be walking through right now, what might be attempting to steal your hope, that God is still moving in your life. And what we have to do is cry out to the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual eyes to expand our heart to see His care and His future. He is moving in your life. He is perfecting you. What He has promised, He will do. I believe with all my heart, in essence, this is what Jesus told John's disciples, look, everything that the Holy Spirit spoke to John that was to happen through the Messiah is happening. John, you did it. You spoke the words that brought life. You prepared the way. Don't worry. It's happening, and it will be perfected. When we put our eyes on the truth of what the Holy Spirit is saying, and we invite him into that relationship and choose to see that, then no matter how hopeless our world seems, the hope of Jesus Christ, the future and the care of Jesus can be restored. I'm going to invite Pastor Chris up. And just like John, there's another character in Scripture that kind of has an upside-down story. Um, The closing scene of Moses' epic story arc at the end of Deuteronomy is is really fascinating to me because we we, we get this man, this prophet, that uh, Scripture goes on to say that that no one has ever operated like the prophet Moses. Uh, And yet, uh, we see his final days, uh, him being led by the Holy Spirit um, to the top of a mountain, by himself. And that's interesting because uh, this mountain uh, is, is right there at the foothills of the entrance to the promised land. And so we see this mighty Moses alone atop a mountain overlooking the promised land, knowing full well that he will not step foot into this, uh, in this place um, and that his soon coming final breath is not far away. This is Moses. All of this striving, all of this mediating between God and the Israelites, all all of this work, all this journeying through the wilderness, all of this sacrifice. I mean, he was the prince of Egypt, for crying out loud. And he goes and he shepherds in a, you know, somebody else's fields for 40 years. You guys know the story of Moses. And all of this effort and work and striving and praying ends with him alone on a mountaintop, not going in to the promised land that God had been preparing for him uh, and for the Israelites for generations now. And if we're not careful, and maybe at a first 
glance reading, we might actually see this as sad. And we might even start to feel sorry for Moses. But it doesn't really read like a tragedy. Um, We don't see Moses upset that he's alone on this mountaintop and not down below with his people. And maybe this final scene, one of sadness or some cautionary tale about honoring God's directives to the nth degree, gets taught that a lot, that Moses disobeyed God that one time, and Moses, you don't get to go to the promised land. Okay, there, there is definitely truth in that. But uh, I, I wonder if maybe this is the most telling and the most important insight of Moses' life all along, that could it be that alone with God, comfortable and at rest, regardless of the circumstances, is the real an intended promised land that we should be searching for all along. Do we want his presence or do we want his presence? Do we want the promised land or are we satisfied with him? And meditating on those last few moments of Moses' life is it's almost like the ending of a movie. I, I'm a movie buff and, and oftentimes when I read scripture I like to kind of think through it like maybe like a movie director and so bear with me as I kind of embellish a little bit. Moses finds himself a comfortable rock on which to sit and observe the horizon. The sun is setting over the land of Canaan. It's reflecting off of the raging waters of the Jordan River. And he can see and hear the exuberant clamoring and raucous rumblings of no less than one million members of his countrymen below as, as they prepare to cross into their inheritance 400 years in the making. Moses exhales a heavy sigh. It's one pregnant with resolve only to immediately experience the nearness of the breath giver himself. A calming breeze and a peaceful smile sweeps across Moses' face as he closes his eyes, and he feels the sun that's warm on his face as it gives its final performance for that day. No words are spoken, and none need be said. He's alone, but he's not alone at all. He's with his maker. He's with his friend, and he's with the one for whom his soul longs. Moses is finally home. And would that we all hungered for intimacy with our maker like Moses experienced. And would that we too come to realize that the true promised land is not some distant country or landmass, but in fact is nearness to our God. Don't put it up just yet, Justin, but in John 14, 6, Jesus tells us that he is the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus goes on to say that no one gets to heaven except through him. And, and this is summarized, correct? Takes Jesus, you get to heaven. And as a teacher uh, and, and student pastor, it's, it's one of my burdens and joys to, to teach what the Bible says. Uh, I love opening up scripture with young people and, and, and looking at it, putting our eyes on the text. But also it's kind of turned into one of my joys to also teach what the Bible doesn't say. Um, and hopefully my Bible students in the room uh, realize that I did not quote that scripture correctly. Go ahead and put it up, Justin. Because he doesn't say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to heaven except through me. He actually says no one comes to the Father except through me. Are we guilty of some idolatry? Have, have we put this realm in front of 
maybe the most important thing altogether, which is access to the creator? It's a scary thought. This is way beyond semantics. It's not being nitpicky. I believe this is gospel critical. Is this for a ticket to some celestial by and by? There's not some promised land waiting for us then and there. We come to Jesus so that we have access to the Father. And the mature believer, like Moses, understands that the promised land is not then and there, but it's here and it's now. And it's as close as our next breath. For where the Father is, that's heaven. And because of Jesus, we have access to the Father. He is with us. And this is how the believer has hope to face his yesterdays, his todays, and his tomorrows. This is how we let go of our past and don't let it define us. This is how we can live in the now with all of its difficulties, its pains, its shortcomings, its frustrations. And this is how we can look on to tomorrow with hope and all of the uncertainties and mysteries that come with it because we're not promised anything tomorrow. But because we understand and we believe that the hoped-for promised land is not a place, it's a person, it's a friend, it's a father. And believer, he is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's our hope. Verse 11, it says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. What the scripture is telling us here is this, is that this woman had nothing, that she had no future, she had no hope, she was all alone, her husband had died, and then her only male heir had also passed away. And in the time of that Jesus walked the earth, that was significant because that was the livelihood in a family. That was the security in the family, the future in a family, the legacy in a family. And this woman had lost everything. And it says a large crowd from the town was with her. And the Lord saw her and his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the bear. 
where they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Then they were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. Again, just a little bit of context here, how Jesus interrupted this moment of total desperation and hopelessness. What Jesus did, and this is what I want to draw our attention to and to give us uh, just a, a glimpse, if we would, an understanding to remind us of this is who our Jesus is, that we might open up our hearts again to be surprised by hope. As we understand that he is the one who has overcome hopelessness, that he himself is the place of hope, that we have that today, but also to know that he is the one who can surprise us, who still moves in the miraculous, in the marvelous ways. And we see this story, this beautiful story, and Jesus breaks all the rules. It was considered just ridiculous, improper, sacrilegious, unclean to go up to a, a dead body, to go up to a casket and touch it. The process of mourning lasted not just a few hours like it does in our country with the funeral, but it lasted for days and days. And the townspeople would all be gathered and their emotions would be all heading one direction with this widow woman joining in her, with her. And all they could offer her was sorrow to say, yes, your life is hopeless now. And we recognize this, but they encountered Jesus. And what Jesus did is what he does in our life and how far he reaches into our life to begin to surprise us with hope. As the scripture tells us that Jesus, his heart was moved. He's moved. And again, if you missed anything this morning to understand this truth that he loves you, that he is Emmanuel, that his heart is moved by you. And he walked up to this casket, and he touched this casket, and he spoke to this, this boy and said, get up, get up, get up. Return the boy back to his mother. What I want to offer you this morning is this, is that Jesus is able to resurrect the deadest parts of our life. He is able to restore hope. He is the one who moves supernaturally. If we would simply just offer those up, if we would remove the restrictions and say, Jesus, you have my heart to move into this place. He is the one who is able to move in hope. Another story that comes to my attention where Jesus surprised somebody who was hopeless is in John 5, 6 through 9, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. It says this in Scripture in John 5, 6. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured and picked up his mat and walked. Just again, a little bit of context here is that it was a ritual that there was a pool that sat inside the city of Bethesda and the lame and the cripple and the ill would gather around it and when the waters were stirred, 
Mysteriously, it was believed that the angel would come down from heaven and stir the waters. And in that moment, that the first person into the pool would be healed. But this lame man had a problem. Is that he couldn't move. He couldn't get up quick enough. And he had nobody to help him. But then he encountered Jesus. And I just want to kind of wake you up for just a moment because I think a lot of times what happens is that we see ourselves like this lame man and we plant the excuses of our life one in front of another in front of the opportunity for hope to come back in. And we say we can't move, we can't do it, but then we have an encounter with Jesus. And he looks at us and he says, what do you want? And our response means everything. Because for hope to come back in, we have to say, we want you. We need you. We want you. We need this. And this is what this man did. He said, listen, I want to be healed, but I don't have anybody to, heal, to help me get up. But Jesus responded and said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Oh, what does it mean to be surprised by Jesus? Jesus can reach past our inabilities. Jesus can take the impossibility of our life and, and create hope to bring us into a place of hope if we will allow him. Again, what I'm doing here is I'm building your faith. I'm building your faith. See, listen, friends, today, it's not enough. Listen, let's, let's just kind of get, get down to the nitty gritty just really quick. It's not enough for us just to sing about the hope that is Jesus Christ. It is not enough for us just to celebrate in a liturgical manner who he is. He is the one who is the living hope. And we have to invite him into that place. We have to invite him into that place. The final story that I want to bring to your attention is the lame man being lowered through the roof. And I love this story. In Luke 5, 24 through 26, this is the end of it. But Jesus says this, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. We have seen a remarkable thing today. Sometimes I think that we miss the magnitude of this story here. We see a couple of things in this story is that Jesus is speaking in a home that's completely crowded and there's no room to get in. But this, this lame man has a couple of friends who create an opportunity. They do it rather creatively. They do a little bit of construction work. They go onto the roof, they open up the roof, and I don't care what the roof looked like, if it was thatched roof, clay roof, whatever it was, they made a hole. They made a hole in somebody's roof. <laughs> I don't know about the homeowner. I wish they'd give a perspective on that homeowner say, what the, Jesus, you can heal people's legs, can you heal my roof, right? And they lower their friend down through the, <laughs> through the roof, and I mean, again, what, a, what an amazing scene. If, if you were there, what would you be thinking? You might be captured by the words of Jesus as he's speaking, and they might be stinging you with truth, but all of a sudden, you see somebody being lowered through a roof. This scene just got incredibly wild, didn't it? But it gets even more insane, I think, if we choose to see it. 
Because what Jesus does is it just confronts some of our normal senses here. Because Jesus does a little, something a little different to restore hope to this man. Is that he says this, young man, your sins are forgiven you. He starts there. And all of a sudden he riles up the, 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 the religious folks that are in the room. And they say, what do you mean? You don't have the authority to, to remove sins. And he goes, so that you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Young man, take up your mat and walk. And hope is restored. And this is the last thing I want to offer you about being surprised by hope. Is that it's, it's great when, when God steps into our natural situations and he redirects them. It's wonderful and he wants to. He loves to. He loves to surprise us with hope and he is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that you can think, ask or imagine. He is the one. He can do it. He longs to do it. But isn't it so much more when he comes in and he doesn't just restore hope to our natural situations and circumstances, but he restores hope to our heart. And I think that story would just only be kind of one-sided. It would be tilted one way and not, not, not fully balanced without the understanding of this. Is that what Jesus did there? It wasn't just for the layman. It was for the people that heard there. But it extended past that to us to understand that when Jesus restores hope to us, it's not just in one area of our life. He doesn't just mend and just one section of our life. When we invite him in and we invite him to surprise us with hope, what he desires to do is to bring hope to every area of our life. And that means even, even our soul. And this morning, listen, we can't move past this because some of the place that we've lost hope in, if we're honest, is in this place of understanding our worth, of feeling condemnation of feeling the weight of some of the burden of our sin in our life but what Jesus did for this lame man is what he still offers today I don't want you guys to tune me out just yet because you say oh this is the the section of the message that for people that don't know Jesus know this is for every one of us Because in our moments of hopelessness, sometimes the things that weigh us down the most are the things that sit in the seat of our soul. Condemnation, worthlessness, insecurity, fear, failure. The things and the mistakes that we've done. And Jesus isn't, the only, isn't just in, in the business of, of correcting and fixing the situations, the natural situations of our life, even though he wants to. But the full, complete picture of hope restored, is hope restored to the seed of our soul. And this morning, if, if you are living under the burden of that, or if you're in a place where you need to be surprised by hope in some way, that you don't see a possibility, I want to invite you, I want to invite you to open up your heart to the hope of Jesus Christ. To trust Him in faith. To trust in Him in faith. I know this seems like just a simple thing, but the reality is this is the biggest step. Is to say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm giving you permission. You get to move in this area. I can't do it. I need your help. Would you restore hope? Would you restore hope? I trust you. And be prepared to receive the impossible. Be prepared to receive the impossible. 
Say, God, would you expand my heart? Again, I know, listen, we're going to pray together. But just like these candles represent, when Jesus came to earth, the earth was dark. And he became the light of the world. And when you read the Gospels through this one perspective, here's what you see. Is that Jesus is ever expanding their hearts to receive more of the truth of who he is. And it's still a key for us today, whether it's peace, whether it's hope, whether it's joy, whether it's love. One of the keys for us to understand and receive this revelation is, is to trust him by faith. But also to say, would you expand my heart to receive more of you? Because there is more of you that I need. I need your hope in a real way, in a deeper way. I need to receive it. Would you expand my heart? And when we pray that, I believe that hope begins to return. We're going to move into a time of prayer together. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Just like we did last week. After I explain this to you in just a second. If you're comfortable, I'm going to invite you to join into groups of four or five. If you're not comfortable praying in a group, I understand. We do not want you to feel uncomfortable Instead, what you can do is stay seated. You can bow your head. You can make this a time between you and the Lord of prayer and contemplation. But when we gather together in our groups of four or five, I'm going to ask you a couple of things. The first thing that I'm going to ask you is that we keep this moment as a time between of sacredness and honor to the Lord. And for the first minute, we're going to give you if we would just go around in a circle, and if there's anything that needs a specific area that needs to be prayed over, then that's, we're going to give you a minute to discuss those things. And what I'm going to ask you is to keep those brief, keep them short. And then for three minutes after that, we're going to pray together. You guys will pray in groups. And what we're going to pray in those areas of our life where maybe we felt a little hopeless or we need God to move or surprise us with hope, or to understand the place of hope, to really connect our hearts into that, that beautiful place of intimacy with Him. No matter what it is, we're going to pray for one another. And, and part of the beauty of the community of believers is this, is as we pray together, God moves. It's a promise that He's given us, that He's gathered with us, but also we know that there is encouragement, and that there is love, and there is edification together. So would you stand up, if you're comfortable, would you find a group of four or five people that you can join hands with? Maybe you want to stretch out this morning to a place you've never been. Somebody across the sanctuary that you've never met. Okay, once you're in your groups... Would you spend the next minute going through any prayer needs that you have?
If you haven't started praying, please start praying together. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for the hope that you've given us. And Lord, for every person here, for every need, for every place where hope, hope may be feel lost, Jesus, we invite you in to become our place of hope, to surprise us with hope, to be the Prince of Peace, the Lord of hope in our life. Father, I pray, Lord, for every person in this congregation, God, that in some smaller, big way that you would surprise them with hope this week, that you would remind them of the future that you've called them to, that you would, Lord, just let them know your wonderful care. God, I thank you 
I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you just quickly be seated for just a few more minutes. Before we have the benediction, I want to just, again, like we said last week, that this message is wonderful. It's a message that we need to hear, but it's only one side of the message. The second side of the message is that we've been called to carry hope. And so what I want you to do is I want to give you a couple of opportunities to do that this this week and in this uh, Christmas season. And I want to encourage you that, that one of the keys, I would, I would even offer this up, that one of the keys of, of coming into a greater understanding of hope is when we choose to give the hope of Jesus to other people who are hopeless. And maybe there's some people in your life that you know that are, you feel like are going through a hopeless, or they've told you they're going through a hopeless situation. And this may be your opportunity to be life to them, to encourage them, to, to bless them in some smaller, big way, in a need that they might have. But I want to direct your attention to some specific areas that we have in our community um, that may give you an opportunity to be hope. One of them is uh, with the Dream Center that is in Beaumont and our very own Pastor Ken. Pastor Ken, shake your hand right there. See that gentleman back there? He is, I believe you're the number two guy there. And if that's something that you want to connect with, then I want to invite you to go talk to Pastor Ken after service, because there are wonderful men and women that um, God is restoring and building life into and turning their lives around and calling them into a future and a hope, and they need more hope. You can't have enough hope. And so there's big and small ways that you can be involved with the Dream Center. Maybe they need something that you can provide Maybe they need a service that you can provide. Maybe your presence there is something that can bring hope. But I'm sure that Pastor Ken can tell you. This week we'll be posting some opportunities on our Facebook page. So connect with us through Facebook of of different ways. Uh, And they're not all local. Some of them are in different parts of the country where there are children who have needs that we can connect into and become hope for them in just the smallest ways. It's amazing to hear the stories of what just buying a child a gift, how that just restores hope. We have wonderful nursing homes, even some folks right now that that we love that are in some nursing homes in the community. And this is our opportunity to take maybe some time out of our busy week. And and again, listen, uh, if I could just, just grind on this for just a second, is that when we talk about giving hope, yes, we need to pray and say, God, we, we want to do and follow the leading of what the Holy Spirit is saying. But listen, there's way too much truth in the New Testament that says that our model has to be what Jesus came to model. That Jesus didn't just simply send a messenger or just send a word, but he himself visited. He, he himself gave and came and, and he did those things. And so, and so what I'm going to encourage you to pray about, to really pray about, is say, maybe do I need to take some time out of my schedule and go? And if you need to know, if that's on your heart, and you say, I want, I'd like to go visit somebody in a nursing home, then you can come talk to me because there are some people that are connected to our church that are in some nursing homes here, and they would love to see your face. 
to get a call, to get a text, to get a card. Maybe you could fill what we call a blessing bag. It's just a Ziploc bag filled with some non-perishable snacks, some hygiene items. And have those in your car when you drive by a homeless person through the underpass or on the side of the road. Give that to them with a prayer to say, listen, God, as they open this bag, as they touch it, would they somehow connect into the hope of Jesus Christ? To know that somebody loves them, that you love them, that there is future and hope for them. We have a very wonderful ministry right down the road on 8th Street, Nederland Avenue, 8th Street. I think that's correct. Community Care and Prayer Outreach. And they constantly minister to, to, to those who are hopeless, that are in need, that are finding themselves in a, in, in, a, in a bad way in their life, a hard time in their life. And organizations like this that are trustworthy, that have been in the community for a long time, they rely upon the support of people. And maybe you can make a donation. You can Google them. You can call them. If God puts it on your heart, you can write a check. You can give money. You can donate something of quality that you have that may be something that somebody in a, in a hard situation, they minister to people that are in transition times, that are trying to get back on their feet. They do most of the heavy lifting to see and find the people that truly need help, but they rely upon the donations of people to make that thing go. But what a beautiful way to restore hope to somebody's life. What a simple thing that we can do. And I promise you, as we choose to connect these truths of the hope of Jesus in our life, and we take a step to be the hope of Jesus to somebody else, hope will be restored in a greater way. Would you stand to your feet? I want to bless you this morning. Father, I thank you. And I declare the grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, let your goodness and your mercy surround every person here. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Have a great week. Why don't you love on your neighbor as you leave today?